Hey, this is All Podcasters Die, the podcast for queers, horror fans, and haunted house attendants alike. I'm Anastasia Scott, and this is my lovely fiance, Hannah Wins. And today we shall be talking about Hell House LLC, which is a found footage movie from the year 2015. Would you like to give us a little rundown of what? Hell House LLC is here. I would love to give you a synopsis. Uh, Hell House LLC is a found footage film shot as a documentary five years after an unexplained tragedy occurs at Hell House, which leaves many dead. And a journalist is seeking answers as to what actually happened. All right, so before we begin talking about the actual movie, we want to introduce you to the characters. So our first character is Alex. I don't like Alex. Well, we have to say who he is for things to be like, I don't like him. Okay, next. <laughs> okay, Alex is the guy who pretty much runs Hell House, which is their, like, sort of traveling haunted house. It's in a different location every year. He runs it. It's his company. He's kind of a jerk a little bit. I think Alex is the kind of guy that could be a cult leader. Yeah, because everyone else in Hell House is very, very loyal to him and just listens to whatever he says. He's a smooth talker, I think, yeah. from what I understand. Smooth talking. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Alex, this this cast is basically just a bunch of, like, I feel like, un- not unforgettable, forgettable white men, because I think Alex is the only one I remember, and that's because he's the leader, and he's the really only one that's defying everyone else, but... Yeah. I got Tony and Mac mixed up Oh, that. all the time. And Paul. Just because you don't see Paul a lot. Yeah, you don't see behind the Paul. camera. Yeah. Anyways, then we have Sarah, who is, I feel like, our second main character, in a way. Uh, she is Alex's long-term girlfriend. That's all there really is to her. She's just his girlfriend. We don't get a lot of information about any about of these guys. a lot of background about them, really. Just because this isn't a documentary yeah. setting. So there's no, like, time for backstory of like flashback we do know they were childhood friends though yeah alex mac and sarah were all they all knew each other from yes. when they were younger we don't get to know a lot about them because it is the documentary setting it is like this is purely academic you yeah. know what i mean and also there is no one who they can talk to who like knew what was going on in the house all right and then we have mac who i feel like is the diffuser in most of this movie. Like we said, he and Alex and Sarah have been friends since childhood. So it seems like basically Alex has been leading for forever and Mac has been trailing along, picking up his mistakes. Mac is one of, I'm not going to say one of the only good guys. He's pretty much the only one I really liked who I'm like, oh, he's a good guy. But the rest of them are just like the whole cast is just, you don't know a lot about them. So I can't make that judgment. There's not a whole lot of personality there. I think there's personality. I think it just got kind of overshadowed by the fact that they are being haunted. Yeah. They are in a dire situation, so your personality is going to be a well different. I suppose so. And I'm going to mush these two together just because, you know, there's not a lot to say about either of them. There's Tony and there's Paul, and they are both the cameramen throughout this movie because Alex asks both of them to document this experience. His reasoning is that it'll make it easier for future years how to put up their haunted house. Right. So there's not a whole lot to say about either of them without spoiling. Then there's some minor characters, Melissa and Joey, who are actors that will be in the haunted house. There's Diane and Mitchell and the rest of her camera crew who are part of a documentary team who are doing a story about what happened at Hell House. Because it's a big conspiracy and, like, nobody knows what truly happened. This whole movie is in the format of a documentary. Which is really, not confusing, it, like, tricks you almost. Because when I first watched it, I was looking over at Anastasia and I'm like, is this based off of true events? Like, because that's how they show it. They don't say at the beginning, oh, all the events depicted in this are fictional. It's They immediately start off in the documentary format. So you think it's real, but you're not quite sure. Like, you don't want to think it's real. Mm. Like, because it's, there was no, like, information that was saying it was real. If you were to, like, look up the movie and, like, Mm -hmm. read its description, it wouldn't say, oh, based off true events. But the way it's formatted makes it feel like it's a real event. Right. Which, I mean, is just a 
trope that horror movies do in general is tricking you into thinking that this is based on true events or this actually happens when in reality it's usually some overhyped or different kind of story or in this case completely fake from what i understand to the people who made this wanted you to think it was based off of real events as well well i mean it makes sense and i think that combining documentary and found footage like this is very smart yeah it allows for explanation Mm -hmm. because in a normal found footage movie if it is done correctly you don't get explanation as to why stuff uh, like behind the scenes that we would not be privy to if we were just watching the found footage but in this we get interviews that explain right and it acts as a good transition between the like the cut scenes because obviously they're not going to show the entire found footage there's like cuts of the important stuff so the documentary bits act as a good little buffer between the scenes it definitely helps like i was saying earlier about how it helps kind of guide the story along there are moments where they cut back mm-hmm. to different images in the movie so that you know the importance of those images right which i think is very helpful the longer the movie goes on the less they use the documentary aspects it's getting intense so there's no reason to like kind of jolt you like that I understand that, but I think that we'll talk about it more at the end. Let's just start then. Let's just begin. The movie obviously starts off with a journalist interviewing some people and trying to enter the Abaddon Hotel, um, which is where Hell House, the um, haunted house, had taken place, the Abaddon Hotel. Obviously, it's set up like a documentary. We already talked about that. And they're talking about the Hell House and the tragedy It's very realistic, makes me think these are actual super real events that actually happened. They show a lot of recovered footage from the night, which amplifies the realism of it. And they show pictures and like firefighters and people going in to help. And we also get an eyewitness video. Yes. That follows a group of friends who we don't really know the names of or their personhood isn't important. Their video is. It shows them going into Hell House Mm -hmm. and experiencing the haunted house and seeing weird things happening, things that probably mean that that there are technical difficulties happening. Right, like Sarah running past them and the clown going out of the basement. Lots of things that aren't explained, and we don't even know these characters Mm -hmm. yet. These are just passing figures. And we see them going through each part of the house until they get to the basement where there's just a crowd of people and no one can get out. Yes. And they're all trying to push back up and we don't know why. But I like that they showed them going into the haunted house and experiencing the haunted house because it shows the disaster right away to get you interested because I feel like a lot in found footage you're like when's the thing gonna happen like when are things gonna get real because a lot of found footage is just like banter between the cast and them trying to act like real and whatnot and just waiting for scary things to happen but this sets it like right away like this is what we are leading up to right I agree I also think it's helpful that they show this clip at the beginning because this documentary is set up as if we should know this tragedy yes like this is set up in a world as if this tragedy has happened in real life And so this video helps us get a basis for everything that Mm -hmm. is going to be talked about through the entirety of the movie. And you can Mm -hmm. look back at this beginning throughout for the entire movie. It's essentially telling you what we know at the moment, Mm -hmm. like what the public knows, what they know happened and what's trying to be figured out. But like I was saying, they get to the basement and people are trying to get out of the basement. And so they turn around And it feels very claustrophobic. It feels very real and disaster. People are just trying to run and scream and get out as best they can, pushing and shoving. The people that we're following, they manage to get out with the help of various crew members in the house and are able to get out and survive the night, unlike apparently 15 others who die in the house. And that is the huge tragedy of Hell House LLC that we are given 
story too. And again, this movie just does a really good job at setting it up like a documentary and like it's like it's almost real because then they show all these photos of the house, like a crime scene, and then they show a 911 call. I don't know. It's just like a little like sprinkle on top, a little cherry on top. Uh, and then we meet Sarah first from the crew who is being interviewed by Diane, who is a journalist and is trying to figure out exactly what happened in the house. And Sarah doesn't really give a lot of information. She just gives Diane this giant like bag of videotapes. And she said that these are your answers. Just watch these. These will lead you to what you want. So then that's how we get introduced to the tapes. And we also are made aware that Sarah is the only one who survived that night. From the crew. And no one's seen her for five years from the night of the tragedy to when this interview has begun. Oddly suspicious. (laughs) Oddly suspicious. So this is when all the footage begins. We The first thing we see is that the crew is driving to the Abaddon Hotel, which is where they will be doing their haunted house. We're introduced to the rest of the cast. Paul, Tony, Sarah, Alex, and Mac. Yes. They're driving to the hotel. They're very sweet with each other. You know, no, you can tell they're close and they have known each other a long time. The chemistry between all of the actors is really, really good. I don't know if they gave them a lot of freedom with because with found footage, usually you get a lot of freedom to like say just whatever feels right. But I don't. I, it feels like they got freedom to do what they wanted. Just a little bit. Yeah. So then they get to the hotel, and like we see that they're all kind of joking around. They're very close. But later we also get our first taste of a rift in the group. Mac and Alex are fighting, and apparently this isn't the first time. Nor is it the last throughout the movie. Why even were they fighting? We don't know. Probably about something dumb like directions. They're friends. And They've they're been best friends, friends for a long time. Yeah, they're going to fight over exactly. kind of things sometimes. Especially if you run a business with your friends. You're yeah. just going to fight. Right. Um, so finally they get to the hotel and they find out there's absolutely no power there. It's very, very abandoned, very dirty, very gross. No one's been in there in a long time. Just trash everywhere. It is a fixer-upper. We see them touring the hotel, which I think was a smart move on their part. Yeah. Because it helps that you know the layout of the hotel, because scares, like they do in Hell House, don't really work unless you know how the building works. Mm -hmm. Because if it's a straight-lined house, then obviously they can't be on two different ends of the house. So it helps, I think, and makes you familiar with the area. Right, right. And this hotel isn't like a Hampton Inn. It is a very small hotel. It's like a maybe three-bedroom hotel. It's an old one. Um, so they go to the attic, and there's a little chain dangling from the ceiling, which is a nice little foreshadowing moment. I think it's as they're leaving the attic, they pan to like an eerie, or the camera like kind of stops like, a photo moment and you see there's a shadow in the corner and it's our first little look at this like oh this place might be a little creepy a little haunted but nobody in the crew noticed yeah nobody sees it's like it's it's again like that documentary thing like you're watching the footage and they want you to zoom in on that moment Mm -hmm. then they go downstairs to the basement where they get their first taste of how weird the situation really is in the hotel Because there is a giant pentagram on the wall. Yes. Along with a ton of burnt Bibles. Yes. And also, it's just a really, really creepy basement, as most basements are. (laughs) It is definitely one of those old haunted house basements. It is freaky. It's brick walls and, like, dirt floor. It's it's dark. Like, they have those, like, pillars that you can't see past, but you know there's more past. It's just creepy. Pretty much everyone is a little uneasy about the situation, except Alex. Alex is like, whatever, like, this is just good for us. Like, there's, it's already set up for us. Wow, this is, this is great. <laughs> what is, uh, it's a uh, production value. Yeah. The crew has to fix up the hotel in yeah. order for it to work. So Tony and Paul both make the electricity come back on. Yeah. And then all of the crew move into sleeping at the hotel, right. the Abaddon Hotel instead of at a different location, because that's what they had been doing previously. 
But then once the electricity comes on, they come and live at the hotel instead. And it gets brought up that that um, the pipes had bursted and that there were lawsuits. And Alex gets weirdly defensive about that comment. He seems very defensive whenever anything about why the hotel closed and why it's not running anymore gets brought up for for reasons. Basically, anytime anyone questions his authority, he gets kind of prickly. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So they do sleep at the hotel. Um, and this is when um, I think Sarah said in the format, the documentary said this is when things started to change is when they started sleeping at the hotel. Yeah. So once they start sleeping at the hotel, we get this really nice scene where they're all kind of joking and laughing at the bar. Our last happy moments. Yeah, it's really sad because you you don't know it's their last happy moments, but it really is. They're just joking around and talking about past years, what yeah. had happened. And they're celebrating their first night at the Ibadan. Drinking and having fun. Yeah. And you get to really see their connection again. You can definitely for sure tell that they are very close. They started like hanging up the props and whatnot. And then Paul starts to mess with the piano. And you hear the Hell House LLC theme for the first time. It's very eerie. The piano is iconic. When I think of this movie, I do yeah, think of the piano. It's still playing in my head. I hate <laughs> it. It's really creepy. Then we get Paul's first night diary. Yes, we do. And basically every night, since he is the filmer, mm-hmm. he does little videos about what's going on during the day and all of that. Not too much happens. He talks a little bit about how the renovations are going and how the setup is going. Mm-hmm. We do see a creepy figure come into his doorway and he thinks it's Sarah. We don't actually ever know, I think, if it's Sarah or not. I don't think it is. But Sarah does start sleepwalking. Yeah, it's a, it's implied that Sarah is a regular sleepwalker. Is it? I, I mean, they, I mean, he's saying it like no big deal. Like, oh, Sarah, are you sleepwalking? Like, I feel like if they say that, then... Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't think it's someone sleepwalking. I probably think it's a ghost. And then we meet the new actors that they're bringing in specifically for this haunted house. They only have about three, as far as mm-hmm. I can tell. Melissa, Joey, and the... I don't know her name. She's a she's like the hostess. She brings people yeah. in at the beginning and gives them basically the rules and the rundown. We don't see a whole lot of her. Melissa and Joey are really the important two. We meet Melissa, mm-hmm. who is really important. Yes. Paul starts flirting with her and asks her questions about the Abaddon Hotel because she yeah. is a local girl and so she would know more than he does. And since Alex hasn't really been forthcoming in any kind of information, he's looking for anyone yeah. who is willing to talk. And so she basically talks a little bit about how apparently the original owner had hung himself, but she doesn't really know a whole lot. And then we do switch over to the documentary. But Melissa also mentions how things just kept happening to the guests, so it shut shut down, and that is supposedly haunted. Um, and when we flip back to the documentary, they mention the first body found when the police had gone, excuse me, into the Abaddon Hotel was a man who had slit his neck. Which we have no idea who that could no. be at this point. They talk about how the original owner of the hotel also had apparently summoned demons or was a part of some kind of cult or witchcraft or something of that like that gives us kind of a little bit more clues right and after this we're introduced to the clown costumes for the very first time the dummies the are they costumes on dummies yes okay that was i thought they were just dummies that were like that it is clown costumes on dummies the clown dummies are going to be in the basement which is like the big place where everything's going to happen so we're already really wary of anything that's down there one of the dummies can't move its head, which is very important because there are times where it will move its head when it's not <laughs> supposed to. We get another of Paul's night diaries mm-hmm. where we hear, he hears a random noise. Yeah, Because uh, they're upstairs in the bedrooms and downstairs there's a whole bunch of creaking and moans and groans of the house. And it wakes Mac, Alex, and Paul all up. Yeah. And they none of them go and check it for some reason. I mean, I would, if it was one of the first nights there, I would probably assume it's just old house noises. Yeah, but it wasn't even there one of their first nights there. I mean, I guess not, but maybe none of them just wanted to do it. I guess. And maybe Mac would be the only one who would do it because the rest are kind of pussies. This is true. 
I would be a pussy too, though. No, yeah, like, 100%. obviously there's actual ghosts there, so <laughs> you have every right to be a pussy. There's a few more scenes that we see, like, them meeting Joey, him doing his weird eye trick where he can take his eyeball out of his socket or open it really wide, something like that. His, he can pop it, yeah, pop the eyeball out of his socket, which bit. is really creepy. <laughs> um, then they play around with the dummies. They're being funny, annoying, just as men are. And then Paul goes to look for Tony because he can't find him. And then he finds the clown whose head does not move, standing upright in a hallway, I think by the basement, right? He's assuming it's Tony messing yes. around. He's assuming it's Tony messing around, trying to scare everyone. It probably happens regularly when they have these haunted houses. The camera pans to like down to the basement and then goes back up to the clown, and the clown's head is turned towards Paul. And he's like, ha ha, fuck off, Tony. Like, we have things to do. And turns around and leaves and goes back to go talk to Mac. Only Mac is talking to Tony, and there's no possible way that Tony could have gotten out of that costume and back there. So the crew goes to investigate the footage and just assumes that Paul and Tony have been playing a prank on them. Paul, even though he's like, it wasn't me, like, I didn't do it. It's like for real. No one really wants to believe there's anything going on yet. Yeah, I that really upsets me that Paul didn't protest at all he was just like yeah all right guys thanks for not believing me all oh, was done dirty in this movie a little bit nobody listens to each other when, <laughs> when they're like i saw this thing or like haha like sure you did and i know that's like common in horror movies but it's so annoying when they have camera footage evidence and then after that whole thing they it pans or it changes to them filming a commercial for the haunted house and they're just messing around with some dummies and stuff like that. Right. There's nothing too important that happens, except that we notice that Sarah is off by herself staring at a statue of Mother Mary. Yes. Which is kind of weird. Like, I think Mac or someone is like, Sarah, and then she just kind of snaps out of it. Right. So most of this movie is just them setting up the haunted house in various ways. Mm-hmm. Paul goes to help Tony fix up this flashing strobe light room. Yeah. And so he has his camera, goes inside and tells Tony to go, you know, rip it, to turn on the lights and sees another dummy or another entity in the room with him because there was three dummies, but suddenly there's four. Um, He freaks out, obviously, and runs out of the room and then throws up, throws up. Poor Paul. He like he's made out to be like crazy. I think throughout most of the movie, but I I did like that scene. I thought it was interesting. It's kind of hard to watch because I'm like I was trying to count them like one, two, three. Like where's the fourth one? Or again, it helps that it's documentary style yeah. because it brings up the photo again, yeah, so that you can see that there is another dummy. Yeah, it shows you a still, so it'll be like one, two, three. There's the fourth one. But yeah, it's just this creepy man in like a mask looking thing standing there. Uh, then Paul obviously tells everyone to listen to him that he had seen something in that room with him and he has footage again of the fact that something was in the room with him and still no one believes him. And so Alex and Paul have a huge fight that results in Paul storming off. Yes, and Alex is just worried about the actors being scared away with like two weeks to opening night to go. Then get another Paul diary. I love these Paul diaries. They're my favorite. They're nice. <laughs> Honestly, the the entire time that he's doing these diaries, you just feel on you're the waiting for something to happen because it's like the way it looks is the camera's on his face and he's in bed, and then you can see the rest of the dark room behind him in like red light. You can see the door open. It's just <laughs> you just know something's gonna happen. That's just the way it's set up. Right. Uh, another night diary happens. But this time when Paul goes to go check out this mysterious noise that's downstairs, the clown is standing in the stairwell. Yep. And Matt comes out and also sees it and is Because like, what the fuck? Like, did you do that? Like, who did that? And so they both decide to go just move it, move it after making sure it wasn't actually a person in the costume. <laughs> and then they find Sarah, who is speaking backwards staring, staring at a wall staring at a wall in this empty dark room and so you like don't know anything that's happening and then right. they 
They wake her up. She doesn't know what's happening. She doesn't know how she got She's there. She's hysterical. She's freaking out. They go back out because they had left the clown dummy to go comfort Sarah. And now that's gone. So they don't know where that went. And so they run to the basement to go find the dummy. Only, like, there's, like, a kitchen bar area. And then when they had tried to go into there, the table was, like, set. And it hadn't been like that before. And after the grandfather clock chimes and they run into the bar area, they turn around because they get freaked out. And then you run into the clown again, which was standing upright in, in an area where it was not left before. And then it comes back to daytime. Again, I don't know why they haven't left yet. When Because they're so loyal to Alex and Alex wants to stay. I guess. But like three of your five people have witnessed something crazy going on and just nothing. <laughs> After that, we see Sarah being comforted by Alex. Yes. Not leaving or anything like that, but we do notice that there is probably more going on with Sarah than right. we know. And Paul does mention in that previous night diary that Sarah had not been doing well. And then we get another Paul documentary night again. <laughs> um, this He says three days until opening night. says people are stressed. Um, Paul doesn't think they should be there. Alec is confident. Sarah is in a bad condition. And Paul decides to just go to sleep. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and sees a figure in his room, I guess. Just I, this little girl in a nightgown just yeah. sitting. Oh, I'm like, oh, I don't I, I, I don't like how that feels. Oh, I don't like it. I'm seeing it in my head. I don't like it. <laughs> he flips over his blanket over his head. And as she, a child does. As a child does. And she keeps getting closer until... He opens the blankets and she's there and then the camera glitches. And he disappears. And he screams. Just hiding under your blanket is such a universal yes, experience. I'm glad it's, it's not so just me. No, it is. It's so scary to have that protection that we all like know is not actual really, protection yeah. be taken away though. Because it we almost everyone I'm sure has done it at one point or another, hidden themselves in something like a blanket or a hoodie or you know, something right. as a form of comfort. And to have that stripped away is very scary. And this is the last, like, scene we see of Paul where he is still... Normal. Normal. Insane. They find out that Paul's missing. Because his camera's there, his blankets are all there, his stuff's all there. They just don't know where Paul has gone. Mm-hmm. But apparently this hasn't been the first time that he's just up oh, and disappeared. Right. So they're like, oh, it's classic Paul. He'll show up again in a couple of days and it'll be fine and we'll just be mad at him for a little bit. Tony mentions that has anyone actually called him? And Mac and Alex both kind of are like, oh no, we haven't. I guess we should have done that first thing. And they do call him and there's just a woman screaming. We don't know what's happening. And they drop the phone and that's that. And then it's the following mm-hmm. night, as far as we can tell. And then I think it's Tony who wakes up, because he's the cameraman now, since Paul's not there. Um, you hear the piano, the Hell House theme that Paul had played at the very beginning playing. So they go to investigate it. Him I think and Mac. Him and Mac, yes. And then they finally find the piano, and there's the piano stops playing. And there's obviously no one there but the dummy to play it. And then it goes like off-key, and it plays again, like a little, like, a child like kind of putting their hands on the piano and going across it and then you can hear pounding and thumping in the wall which is kind of creepy and unsettling like i didn't notice it until this watch i don't think just because of the subtitles uh, they're looking everywhere and because yeah. they just think that paul is playing a prank yeah. on them like you said earlier i'm sure that they play plenty of pranks on each other right but they go downstairs to the basement because that's where it sounds like paul had run off to right. and they're looking for him and they can't find him and they turn around and the clowns, all their dummy heads, yeah. have turned. And so Tony shoves Mac into this freezer? freezer closet thing and tells him that like what he saw. What he saw. And when they go back out there, it's normal again and they find Paul. He was unresponsive. He was just sitting there like dead eyed, wasn't responding. They were like Paul, like, where have you been? What have you been doing? And he's just sitting there not saying or doing anything. Max really mad at him. He is. But Tony has a bit more sympathy for him. He, like, recognizes that the situation's kind of weird and he doesn't feel comfortable, I think, at all either. So he does try and help Paul to the best of his abilities. Right. Um. So then that's the end of that scene. And then we go to 
we haven't gotten a documentary scene in a while. As I said earlier, like when things pick up, like we get less of those documentary scenes. Uh, our next scene is Tony trying to get Alex to just call off the show. But Alex says he won't because, you know, they work so hard for this and whatnot. And there's just like, oh, you're scared, like, of a haunted house. Like, good. That's how it's supposed to be. Alex is just a dick. Like, his people are saying they're saying things. One of his guys is not responding and being weird. And you're not going to whatever. And Tony is just done. Yeah. He doesn't want to do it anymore. He's freaked out. He, he's done tells Alex that and basically walks out. Mac follows behind him and has explained something. We don't know what. Mm-hmm. Mac tells Tony this secret that we don't know. We aren't aware of. We, we to don't get him not to leave. To get him to not to leave. And apparently that's enough to change Tony's mind and convince him he is not able to leave. The scene changes to then like sitting in a field, Tony sitting in a field and he's like, I can't leave. I just can't leave. There's no way I can go home. And then I think it's Mac that joins him pretty much and is just comforting him. And everyone, apparently everyone knows this secret, but Sarah and Paul. And then we shift over to an interview where they're talking to Sarah about Alex and opening night. And opening night. And if there was any issues and if Alex was okay and everything to try and figure out maybe some sort of like hint that the night could have gone wrong. Basically. And she says that no, like he like Alex was as usual. He was trying to motivate everyone. Everything seemed to be working in order. And then it goes to opening night, the actual opening night of Hell House. And Alex is pep talking to all of the crew and all of the cast, which is become smaller and smaller as the weeks have gone on. Right. I think the house is also kind of affecting Alex in a way because he's not really a smooth talker anymore. Mm. Like we see him at the beginning. He stutters over his words and he doesn't know what to say. I think he's also nervous. Yeah, I do think he's nervous. But Mac is able to take off the slack for him because he's a good guy. Mac is a very good guy. (laughs) Um, they They do show Paul is lying in bed, just unresponsive, not moving at all. He's just lying in bed doing nothing. And we see some more of the setup of the actual Halloween night, mm-hmm. their opening night. Melissa, one of the cast members that we had mentioned earlier, she is chained up. She's playing damsel in distress in the basement yes. as if she is a sacrifice. Right. And Joey, who is playing one of the clowns in the basement, has the key to let her go in case some guys get touchy or in case she gets uncomfortable, which I think it is so irresponsible and dumb to not make those cuffs break away. Like, so she can get out of them. They're like these huge, big metal yes. chains. They're like, and like the things on our wrists are like leather and they're like very attached to her. They're not coming off. Like, there's no way for them to come off. They should have used some plastic. But something that could break. Yeah, or like, rope or just something because. Anything just, but what they did. Yeah, because it was just dumb. And then Melissa asks if things are okay because she can kind of tell things are off. She even asks about Paul before. And then Max's like, no, like, everything's fine. Like, we tell you something was wrong. And she's like, okay, whatever. But you can tell she thinks that there's definitely uh, something up. And there is because um, when they go to test, like, the walkie-talkies and everything, the walkie-talkies, of course, are not working, which is the first sign of that things are going to go very wrong. And then this is about the moment where we see an intermingling of different footage. Yes, I like this a lot. I do. I agree. I really like this. Because we see the first bit of footage Mm -hmm. where it's the opening night and we have those teenagers who have come in to just view the haunted house Mm -hmm. we get their footage along with max head camera and then other cameras throughout the house so we get to see different ways that the disaster happens i appreciate that they used all those cameras that they had set up because you see the camera room and it's nice that they actually used all those cameras um, it adds to the chaotic feeling. Yeah, it also adds to that disaster feeling because mm-hmm. when a disaster happens... You need to see like all different points of view from what it, how it's happening and when it's happening and where it's happening. And especially when there's that many people in this kind of mm-hmm. era, even now more so than it was then, uh, of everyone having, having a camera in their hand constantly as their phone, then there is going to be multiple angles of a disaster and you get to see all of the... Right. So those teenagers walk in, and I think the first off thing they see is Sarah running across them, like going off somewhere into a different room, it looks like, to check on something, maybe. 
she, which we later find out is she's talking to Mac because she, sees Paul. she had seen Paul wandering around, which they don't know why that would be happening. And then we see Joey running out of the basement. Who is the clown that is supposed to be keeping Melissa safe? Obviously he's not. And he runs out of the building. And we don't know why. Not yet, no. And so Alex and Tony all try and go and run out of the camera room where they were sitting, keeping an eye on everything. They run out of the camera room to go check on everybody else to see what's happening. Mac is helping people out, I think. I don't know if he's helping people out yet, but he does help people out. Right, because, okay. They see Joey running out of the basement and out of the house. And so Mac goes downstairs to go check Mm -hmm. on Melissa but then there's this huge crowd of people coming out and so obviously something's gone wrong so Mac starts funneling people through to the exit and then we find out Mac had helped the kids at the beginning of the movie out of the house which is a nice little moment for us and so Mac yeah Mac helps everyone out of the house and the door closes shut behind some of the escapees and leaves Mac and a couple of others locked inside. Right. I think in the basement, you also see Melissa begging for help. Um, at some point, you do see Melissa in the basement after Joey had left. And she's begging for help. like, And she's saying, this is not a part of the show. Someone help me. And obviously, no one can help her because she's... They're in the middle of chains, like, tying her to the ceiling. Like, there's no way she's getting out. And these cloaked figures start coming out of the walls to come and get all of these people. Yes, and people start screaming and funneling out. And I'm honestly surprised nobody got trampled. I bet maybe someone did. They probably just got... You see there's stuff in the kitchen that falls over. That's true. But it's just basically pure chaos. Yeah. (laughs) At this point, you don't really know where to look or what's going on anymore, um, which is what the people are feeling, I guess. So we don't know where Paul is. Sarah goes upstairs to go check on some things into the bedrooms. Right. To go talk, I think, with Alex and stuff, but runs back into Mac. Right. And Tony. It gets so chaotic at this point. It's hard to tell what's like. What it really does. Because Mac and Tony meet up. Yes, they do, to go and, downstairs to check and on Melissa. Yes, right. Because Mac helps the rest of the people out as much as he can. He meets up with Tony, and they have to go downstairs to go figure out what's wrong with Melissa. And Melissa is screaming for help, saying it's this is not part of the show, because Joey left her. <laughs> yeah. And so Tony goes down the stairs, Mac's behind him, and we see a cloaked figure get Tony, slams the basement door, and Mac can't get in. Yeah. So then he turns around because he can't get into the basement and goes to find someone else finds sarah and they go upstairs to the attic where they find alex who is hanging himself and so mac runs over to try and help him out and instead dies because all of a sudden a whole bunch of clubbed figures come out and make him disappear we don't know where he goes but then we see alex just hanging yeah you, like you get this weird like bottom like point of view from like his feet you can see him hanging from the ceiling and so sarah freaks out and she runs downstairs and then we and switch then back to the, the documentary. documentary finally we get back to the documentary and sarah's like yeah after the attic i went downstairs and i got out and then there were the police and then diane the journalist is like really that's weird that like you didn't run into anything else in between those two points? Like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, I just got out. And asked to be done for the day. Yes, she said she it had been too much and she wanted to go take a break for a few hours. Then she asks Diane, have you ever thought about trying to get into the Abaddon Hotel? Like, she's trying to bait them to get into the Abaddon Hotel. And she mentions she's staying in room 2C in the hotel that she's staying in because she's visiting this town. Diane is now interested in trying to break into the Abaddon Hotel. She has to convince her kind of camera crew a little bit, Mm -hmm. but they pretty much give in to what she wants. Diane and Mitchell, her crew guy, come downstairs from the hotel that they're staying in and talk to the receptionist and ask for Sarah if she had been staying at the hotel. The receptionist says no. Because there's no letters in in their hotel numbers because she said she was staying in 2C and there's no C. Diane brushes it off and instead heads to the Abaddon Hotel. Then we are 
switched back over to the Sarah yes, point Sarah. of view. Trying to get out of the house. So Sarah grabs a camera because there's a camera light on it. Right. And uses that as a flashlight to get out of the house. She's breathing really heavy and she gets to the front door and finds Paul just standing there. And she runs over to him and hugs him. He turns on her. <laughs> yeah, beats her with, a, with the camera that she had been using. Which, honestly, I'm just going to say, I think is a thing that should be more utilized it was in... a very interesting death. It's, it should be more utilized in found footage, I think. It's very nice. Not, not nice, I guess, but it was just, like, cool, because... Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. It's a good moment. Yeah, it is a good moment. And then you see Sarah get dragged away by demons, you had said? You hear growling, yeah. and so it must be the cloaked figures. Yeah. Um. So you're like, how is if she's like got beat by the camera, and she got dragged by demons? How is she talking to this journalist five years later? Like you're getting suspicious of Sarah's intentions and like what she actually is. And we see the last of poor Paul. Yeah. You don't really see him. We see his half his body. Yeah. He slits his own throat with yeah. a piece of glass. Uh, which is a callback to, in the interview earlier, yeah. the police had found Paul, the, first. Paul first, a man who had slit his own throat. We switch back over to Diane, who's trying to get into the Abaddon Hotel. It wasn't very hard to get into, honestly. No, there was a couple of boards up. She basically knocked them down and she was fine. They investigate and just look around. It's like, it's still pretty, a pretty fresh crime scene, honestly. Like, the bloodstains are still there and everything. It's an abandoned hotel. Like, yeah, nobody nah. cares. But I'm just going to say Diane is a little too excited about all the blood. She is really excited. Like, she's like a dream for her. It sounds like like seeing this scene and being able to witness it firsthand. Um, but Mitchell seems a little uneasy about it. She's like, why are you so excited about this? Like, let's just do what we need to do and leave. Right. He doesn't even let her go down to the basement. No. Uh, they don't go down to the basement, thank God. No, I would not even try she even gets a call from someone yeah she gets a call from one of her other crew members she ignores it she ignores it which we have to assume is they have gone through the footage and realized that sarah is not who she says she is diane walks through the hotel and is seeing all of these places where things had gone down things have gone down sweet moments or between the crew members or like really horrifying moments like death (laughs) And so they decide to go upstairs into the attic area or the room area and notice that the rooms are labeled because, of course, this used to be an old hotel and it's labeled 2C, which is where Sarah is staying. So Diane's like, wait, do you think this is like her room? And so she opens the door and she sees Sarah just sitting on the bed there staring out the window and she goes up to comfort her, or not comfort her, ask if she's okay. It's like, Sarah, like, are you okay? Like, do we need to take you, like, home or something? And then Sarah turns, and we see half of her face is pretty much gone. There's just marks and yeah. blood and gore all over her. And all of a sudden, these cloaked figures, cloaked figures appear out of the room, and Diane and the cameraman die. And that is the end of the movie, and they play that eerie Hell House music again. They play the eerie Hell House music again, and we get a final card that says that the mystery of the Hell House LLC is to be a forever unknown, basically, to the public. And so that's... That is the end of the movie. What do you... What do I think of the ending? Yes. (laughs) I honestly turn my brain off when I watch this movie because it's, like, not one of those think movies, like, Hereditary or, like, Midsummer or anything. It's just one of those movies that I sat down and was like, I'm just going to watch it for what it is. I didn't hate the ending. I didn't, like, absolutely love it. Like, it wasn't the most memorable. Like, I honestly forgot that about the ending with Diane. I just remembered the stuff that went down at Hell House. But I don't know what the alternative would have been, like... I can't come up with anything better, so I think it's it's okay. I think it's fine the way it is. I think that the movie could have benefited from leaning more on its documentary aspects uh-huh. because I felt like a lot of the interviews were kind of jarring from footage to interview. Right. The Sarah interviews helped that transition a little bit because we got to see Sarah was in the footage and now she's in the, in the interviews, so it's it makes sense, yeah. that bridge. I do think, though, that at the ending, they kind of let the documentary part go. 
I think we could have had a little bit more from the interviewees or something at the end other than just a card that just gives us a little right. bit. And I understand the implication is because Diane is no longer there to finish the documentary, but then who would have been there to do any of the other stuff? Right, I guess so. But found footage, I know you're talking about the documentary part, but found footage in the first place isn't the most realistic format of horror simply because when shit goes down, people aren't filming. But I feel like Hell House did a pretty decent job of justifying their filming for yeah. the most part. But most of found footage, there's like no reason to be filming shit when it's going down. Right. I understand that, yeah. But I don't have any qualms with the... Is that what qualms means? <laughs> I don't have any qualms with the way it ended. I think there probably could have been other routes they could have taken that would have been better. I did read some reviews on this movie, and a lot of people didn't like the like, um, like the plot twist, which was there are demons, and like this is a portal to hell, and there are demons coming out of the walls, pretty much. People thought that was dumb and like anticlimactic, but I was... I personally don't have any issues with it. I think it's fine. I think they could have benefited more from not showing their monsters. Mm-hmm. And yes, keeping... Yes, kind of cheesy. Yeah, exactly. And keeping with more of the subtle horror. Like, I obviously know that there has to be kind of like a big breaking point. But you never have to show anything. And mm-hmm. if you never show anything, then it is ten times creepier. Babadook. Babadook does it pretty well. Bird Box does not. I don't know. I haven't seen Bird Box. It's not good anyways. Or It Comes at Night. Right. Yes. Yeah. Just like those kinds of movies. If you don't see the monster, it's ten times scarier. So I think they could have done... They could have benefited from that. Especially the part in the basement where they start coming out. It felt very like... I don't know. Not not creepy. It was just like, oh, there's more people here now. Right. Because there are some genuinely, like, creepy moments. Yes. No, this movie is really... Like, it's probably one of the scariest movies I've ever watched, honestly. Since we watched it so many times, it's lost kind Oh, I'm of... still shaken. Are in my you? Book. Yeah, I'm still thinking about it. I, I feel like the more times I watch it, the less I get scared of it. Because mm-hmm. I, I, it's more predictable. I know everything that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know everything that's going to happen from the first five minutes in. I know, but... Part. Well, yeah, but, like... The in-between parts are scary, too. Yeah. The subtle horror parts are the more scary parts. You're right. Like, the Paul... I think the whole storyline with Paul was pretty scary. Yeah, just, like, the clown Mm -hmm. dummy is very spooky. This is probably one of the more scarier movies I've watched. I'm still scared of it. We watched it twice this weekend, and both watches were equally, I think, scary. Another thing... I had read upon looking at reviews and whatnot was that this movie doesn't necessarily do anything like groundbreaking. It doesn't like have anything super special about it, except in the fact that like where as found footage is usually like and not done well, Hell House does what it is meant to do well. Like it does found footage well. Yeah, I'd say so. I think it does well. It's a very scary movie. I'll tell you that one. I will say though that we do kind of get, like, upon further research and looking upon the script, you do get an idea of actually why there was so much fighting and what the right. big secret was. And apparently what had happened was they are out of money. They don't have any money left. That's why they have to sleep at the Avedon Hotel. That's why they can't have any moving props. That's why they can't leave. Right. They, they don't have enough money to do it. So that's kind of like the whole big secret behind why Mac and Alex are fighting all the time and why Tony can't leave or any of them can leave is because money. I would guess Mac was probably like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do the haunted house this year and like take a break. And Alex was like, no, this is my baby. I need to do it. That's what I imagine happened. Yeah, Alex honestly was the downfall of them all. Oh, yeah. Um. As the interviewer, one of the people being interviewed said, Alex was his own worst enemy. And just let everyone else down. Which is so unfortunate. <laughs> it's, I think it's an awfully spooky movie. That's pretty good. We haven't seen the sequels. I don't really care to, honestly. <laughs> really? I'm interested. I would like to know what they're all about. Mm, I guess I could watch it. But, so, if you had to give this movie a rating... Between one pom-pom being really, really bad and ten pom-pom 
being really, really, really good. Okay. So I think I would give this one like seven and a half pom-poms. Seven and a half pom-poms. Seven and a half pom-poms because it's scary. It does the found footage really well. I like the documentary format. It feels very real. And like each watch, I am like still scared of it. It's not like, oh, it gets more like not as scary as it was the first time. It's still pretty scary. And I don't know. I just, I love a good haunted house format. I love haunted houses. And I like um, a group, like a group of friends as well as a cast. I do enjoy that. Even if they all die at the end? Even if they all had died at the end, yes. Yeah, I thought seven had pom-poms. What about you? <laughs> I'll give it a be, six. Oh, I knew it was going to be lower than mine. <laughs> I'm a little bit more critical than you are. I just base it off of what my brain thinks, and my brain immediately is like, oh, I like this movie. I, mine are just like little critiques. Yeah. You know? I think they really needed to hammer in more into the documentary style. I think if you're going to do it, go full for it. Um, they I, really did it. Well, a at lot the, the beginning, beginning. At the beginning, they're like, this is documentary. At the beginning, they do it really well. And I think with all the pictures, with the interviews, mm-hmm. with the 911 call, with the news reports, all of that, I think that is done very well. Uh, I think some of the interview shots are not great. Really? I, <laughs> no. I mean... When you do interview shots, you're, you're supposed to have headroom. You're supposed to have headroom, but they like do it where it's the top of their head is the top of the screen and their chin. Not is the everyone is a TCOM major. No, but Some if they're gonna do it, teachers. if they're gonna do it, let it do it right. Um, but I feel like for the most part, the characters are fairly relatable. They're well, pretty well likable, and they have good chemistry, which is right. really all you need in a found footage movie. If you don't have good chemistry, then there's no point. You know. But I I do enjoy this movie a lot. I disagree. I am not nearly as scared of this movie as I used I'm to be. Scared still. But that's okay. I mean, I I get scared of different things than you do. It's fine. <laughs> I am just very easily scared. I'll probably be thinking about this. Like literally the other night when we watched it, and I had gotten up to go to the bathroom. I like the bathroom's probably like ten feet away. And I just got so scared, like, going in and out. And I'm like, oh, I don't like it. Like, the empty space under my bed. I'm like, something's going to fucking grab me. <laughs> we both really enjoy this movie. I think of the found footage I've watched, which is honestly not a whole lot, maybe, like, five. I think this is the best one of all of them. I know people give found footage a lot of shit, but I personally enjoy the subgenre. I enjoy found footage when it's done right. Yeah. And I honestly enjoy kind of the shitty ones, too. Yeah, it's fun. It's like, ooh, like, this is something they left behind. Like, this is, like, going to tell us what happened. It's like a little mystery. I like it. It fills my um, true crime conspiracy need without having to actually be into any conspiracy. Or having to watch true crime shit. Yeah. Because it's one and done, baby. Too much much in my brain. I just need a little taste of it. (laughs) Right. But... I think that'll be it for tonight. I think it will be it. Yeah. I'm Anastasia Scott. And I'm Hannah Wynn. And this is All Podcasters Die. Join us next week when we talk about a rather romantic movie. We're going to be doing a little Valentine's Day special. Yay! Yay! (laughs) It's about zombies in love. There's your hint. So cute. So cute. Or a zombie in love. Yes, a zombie be... We're giving too much away. No, no, it's fine. Zombies in Love is correct because there are multiple zombies that fall in love. Bye.